0: In our world today, there are many voices, voices that are are telling us that we should trust them and follow their advice and follow their directions. It's been really interesting to me as I've watched and observed and listened to people during this pandemic to argue over different aspects of what is right and what is wrong within the pandemic, who's right and who's wrong, Some of these voices are voices of experts, those who who have credentials to make sound judgments and give sound direction. There are people in our society that have been proven to know what they're talking about because they hold credentials, they hold experience. And then there's the whole other side of things, those who self-proclaim to know things, yet They have very little credentials behind them that shows that they know what they're talking about. What I want to ask you this morning before we get into this message, this very specific message about Jesus Christ, I want to ask you, what voices do you listen to in life? What voices are you listening to in the midst of this pandemic? What's creating stress and arguments in your life? Is it because of the voices that you're listening to? The voices that we listen to matter a lot in life. For instance, if you're looking for legal advice, do you go to the local grocery store? Do you go to Google Do you go to the local baker? Do you go to your hairdresser to get good, sound legal advice? Or do you go to a lawyer who holds credentials to give you that advice? If you're sick and you're looking to get better, do you go to your local hairdresser? Do you go and see the local permit provider at the downtown city hall? Where do you go when you're sick and you're looking to get better? You go to the doctor. You go to the hospital, the place where the doctors are, who have the knowledge, the expertise, and the credentials to be able to help you get better. If you're doing your taxes or looking to invest money, Do you go to your local grocer for such things? Do you go to the hairdresser? You you get my point, don't you folks? If you're looking to invest, if you're looking to do your taxes, you're going to go to somebody who is an expert in that area who has proven credentials to be able to help you. Now, most of us, Don't look to to just anyone for advice on all of these things. We seek out these experts, someone with credentials, a proven track record. Yet it's so interesting when you pay attention in our society, how many people, when it comes to big questions in life, now I'm not talking about pandemic questions and things like that. I mean the big questions in life, like, is there a God? Where did we all come from? What is the purpose of life? People turn to all kinds of places to receive the answers to these questions, often overlooking the credentials of the source of the answer. So today, I want to explore a few simple questions when it comes to life and faith and who we are listening to. Who is the expert in your life when it comes to Big Life Matters? Big life questions. Now, the answer to this question shapes the entire trajectory of your entire belief system, believe it or not. We think, we like to think in, in society that we are all independent thinkers. But I want to let you in on something. There's a reality that our thinking is shaped by the voices that we listen to. And the voices that we listen to are people in authority in our lives that for one reason or another, we have decided that we would trust. And so we we don't have this independent thinker reality like we often think and hope that we do. There's things and people in our lives that shape us. So this morning, I'd like to propose something. I'd like to propose that Jesus Christ should be your leading expert. That all Christians should be placing their trust in Jesus alone. I'm going to say this again. This morning, I want to propose to you, whether you're Christian, whether you're not Christian, that Jesus Christ should be your leading expert expert in matters of life. That all Christians, and scripture says this, that all Christians should be placing their trust in Jesus alone. Not their trust in humanity, not their trust in human thinkers, but in Jesus alone. So in order to back up my proposal this morning, I want to answer a few questions for you. The first question that I want to explore this morning is, why should we listen to Jesus in the first place? And the second question that I want to explore progressively here is, why should we trust Jesus more than any others that have opinions on matters of life? You see, there's a lot of people throughout history that have given opinions about deep matters of life. So why should we trust Jesus over all of these opinions? You see, Jesus alone has the credentials to prove that he is the expert in matters of life's biggest questions. So this morning, I'm going to have a slight apologetic edge to this message. And many of you are really going to be familiar with the things that I'm going to talk about. And so this can just be a reminder to you, something that you can ponder. I find that whenever I'm reminded of why I believe who in, in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that it's good to be reminded of why I believe these things. So don't tune out on me because you, you through the power and presence of the Spirit, will probably be spoken to by God of, of something that needs to be transformed in your life. Now, for others, this might be completely new. And so I want you to listen very carefully. You know, the Apostle Peter says that we should always be ready, that all Christians, all those who believe, should always be ready to give an explanation concerning our faith to others. I'm also taking another angle to this, and it's a more personal angle. It's kind of a snapshot into my personal exploration of why I believe Jesus is the expert in my life and should be the expert in your life. So essentially, I'm going to kind of take the angle of how I worked through who Jesus is and who he should be in my life and why. And so we need this morning to start with the Gospels. And so you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to start there in the Gospels. Jesus claims often in the Gospels to be in a position to answer life's biggest questions in a way that's actually quite unprecedented. Here's a passage in Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 27, that often I think we read, we kind of pass by, and we don't understand just How huge of a claim Jesus is making. Jesus says this in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel in verse 27. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He says, Then come to me all You that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Do you hear and understand what Jesus just said in this profound and important passage about himself? He says that all things, all things have been handed over to him or committed to him, some versions say, by God, by Yahweh. He's talking to Jews here. He says all authority, all power, Jesus claims, has been given to him. And then he says something really, really interesting that I don't want you to miss. He says no one truly knows God except him. So he's saying that he is actually the one who knows God, who knows Yahweh, and that he is the one who reveals Yahweh, who reveals God to us. Now, if you're a first century Palestinian Jew, this is absolutely crazy. It's absolutely crazy because he... He's talking to a group of monotheistic Jews. Monotheistic means only one God. Now, now, there's probably some hyperbole in this statement, because obviously Jesus believes in the Old Testament. So he believes that the people know some things about God, that there's progressive, what they call progressive revelation in the Old Testament. God is progressively revealing himself to his people. And so Jesus, I think, actually is making an overstatement here on purpose. He's pointing out that compared to what has been revealed about the Father to us, it's as though no one knows anything compared to him. In other words, he has this closeness that no one on this planet has to the Father. And Jesus makes this kind of a claim all over the Bible. So let me just give you a quick snapshot of a few of these things. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Now, this is not a normal statement that you would hear from a traditional Jewish rabbi. It should be more like, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake or for justice sake, but not for the rabbis sake. You see, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in his name. This is not the way that you teach someone to pray in first century Judaism. You didn't pray in the name of your rabbi. And then he goes on. He claims to have an authority that no one else has. He says things like, you have heard it said, but I say this. And he teaches something past. He he teaches something past what the Hebrew scriptures say, such as comments like this. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say, turn the other cheek to love your enemies, to lay down your sword. This is an authority that no Jewish rabbi would have ever, ever taken. He teaches with an authority that supersedes the authority of the Old Testament. Now, it's obvious that Jesus believes that everything he says is inspired by God. And and so things actually get even crazier. He says things like this. I was glorified with the Father before the world began He pre existed. He pre pre existed. In John chapter 6, verse 33, listen to what he says For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus claims to be the bread of life, that he is doing the will of the Father, that he presents himself as judge over all humanity. You see, even the Jews know that, the only, that only God is the judge of humanity. Listen to these things that Jesus is claiming of who he is. This is where we have to start. He says things like, I give life to whoever I choose and the dead hear my voice. This is crazy. The things that Jesus claims about himself to a first century Jew who's been taught one God, Yahweh, a monotheistic belief since the day they were born. These claims are ludicrous. Jesus says things like, no one knows the father. No one knows Yahweh unless they know the son. Now, this, folks, is why a lot of people at the time of Jesus and why some people even today would argue that Jesus was crazy, that he was a a lunatic. The things he's claiming about himself to a first-century monotheistic Jew was crazy. Jesus literally claims, literally claims to be the embodiment of God. God in the flesh. In other words, he claims that if you want to know the character of God, you have to get to know him. Many people thought that he was demon-possessed, that he must be crazy. As a matter of fact, so many people thought this, that his own family thought that he was crazy. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, the record says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family, so his mom, his brothers, when they heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. So even his own brother, James, didn't believe him. You can find that in John chapter 7, where John specifically cites James as not believing who his brother is. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason, and it's actually really important. Because if the gospel writers are trying to convince you of something that didn't actually happen, if they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes, if they're trying to convince us of a lie— Why would they write about how Jesus' own family, and specifically his brother James, didn't even believe him? You see, if I was fabricating a story, I would probably avoid details like this. He listened. Sorry, he said, "I, I would probably avoid details like this. James didn't believe his family didn't believe at first. Yet there was a growing group of people who were believing everything. They were believing everything that Jesus was saying, and this is important, that contrast. You can tell that they believed it because of how they retell the story. You see, in the gospel accounts, all, they all present Jesus as fully God, And fully human. Now this concept is crazy because Jews were taught this very important distinction between humans and God. You could never merge the two together. The reason you couldn't merge the two together is because that's what the Greeks would do, and the Jews would do everything to not be like the pagans. And so they believed in this one God, Yahweh, and they didn't believe. They they believed very distinctly that humanity and God were very separate entities. Now, this would have been hammered into them as a child, and, and we don't see any human beings as God in Jewish theology. God is God. He is the only God. Yet, in the Gospels, they tell the story of Jesus and they ascribe divine titles to him. They they, they call Jesus God in the Gospels. They call him, they refer to him as Lord. They refer to him as Savior. They refer to him as the Alpha and Omega. And they also describe activities that only God does, and they apply them to Jesus. For instance, like he's the judge of the world, the creator of heaven and earth. It's crazy how a Jew could believe any of this. If you knew anything about first century Palestinian Judaism from a monotheistic belief system, you would be completely floored at the way that they talk about Jesus in the Gospels because the merging of a man and deity was a big no-no. Now here is probably the most shocking thing of all. They prayed to Jesus and worshipped him. Now, every Jew knows that you only pray to God and you only worship God. So this leads us to the next question. How could anyone in their right mind believe what Jesus claimed about himself? Like, for instance, what would it take for you to believe that one of your contemporaries, one of your friends, was God? If one of your friends one day just revealed to you and said, hey, I'm the Alpha and the, and the Omega. I am the Son of God. I am God in the flesh. It's only through me that you will know the Father. How much would it take for you to say, yes, I believe that? Now think about that and times it by over a hundred. Because for a monotheistic Jew, it would have been even more challenging than it is for you and I. You see, every morning the Jewish people would recite what was called the Shema, stating that there is only one true God. And they were especially adamant about this because, as I've said, the pagans around them were always attributing divinity to human beings. Emperors were often considered divine and would call the people to worship them. And many others with authority were were calling themselves divine beings. The one God only, no human being, to to a Jew, it's one God only. No human being can be a God with this main distinction. This is a main distinction of the Jewish faith, and it had been taught to them from the beginning. So how could anyone in their right mind believe Jesus? Well, in the last 10 minutes or so, we're going to get into that. And it's a simple answer, because of his credentials. They believed him because of his credentials. And there are four main credentials. So let's quickly go through these four main credentials. The first one is Jesus taught with unprecedented authority. In Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, verses 28 to 29, Listen to what he says. He says, Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The scribes were the normal teachers of the day, and Jesus taught differently. The Greek word that we translate here as authority is Susa. It's used in, as, as a command to be allegiance to someone. It was expressing the kind it expresses the kind of authority that that holds power and wisdom that only the divine could have, that only God could have. It's an authority in, in a sense that comes from above. That's what the Greek word means in this text. And notice that this statement, this is important, watch where things are placed. Notice this that this statement follows Jesus's teaching In the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just taught differently than anyone else had in history and it was compelling, it was attractive, it was convincing in the in a way that was beyond just being a gifted communicator. There was something divine like about the authority that Jesus took while he taught. And the second point is this, the second credential is, is that he lived a blameless life. When Jesus died, people testified that he literally lived a life without sin, that he was sinless. Now, how many, how many people are going to have that testimony about themselves? Like, I don't think when I, uh, when I die and there's a gravestone, if somebody is gracious enough to give me one, that it's going to say, you know, Pastor Jeff McLeod, a sinless man. I just don't think anybody is going to give that kind of testimony or put that kind of thing on my gravestone. And if you know me, you definitely know that that's true. But yet, Jesus was sinless. And another credential that they believed was in his ability to heal and drive out demons and actually control nature. You see, for three years, Jesus healed the sick right in front of others. He would command demons. He would command the storm to calm. He even raised people from the dead. These were all things that no other rabbi had done. Now the fourth, and I think the most convincing credential that Jesus has, is that he rose from the dead. Because Jesus made the claims that he did, The authorities felt threatened, and so they killed him. But Jesus didn't stay dead. This is the most important credential Jesus had. He conquered death. After his death, many turned away from him and kind of went back to their normal Jewish lives until they found out he wasn't actually dead. This is the main difference, folks, between Christianity and all other religions. Our God, our leader, the one we worship, is alive. Listen to what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 3, Paul, testifying about the resurrection, says this, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have died. Then... He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For all that Paul Paul wrote this passage about 20 years after Jesus was crucified, in the early 50s most scholars think. And when it comes to doing history, to have good uh, historical evidence, this is actually considered to be right on top of the time that it happened. Something that was written this close to the event is good historical evidence that it truly happened. And you've also got to understand that there is early historical evidence of the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the workings and the transformation of this early church community in extra-biblical historical records as well. That means records outside of the Bible that are as early as the writings of Paul. Now, this is phenomenal when it comes to doing history. There is more evidence that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again, that he did the miracles that he did, and that a community uh, called The Way at the time existed than there is that Julius Caesar existed as a real person. There's better historical evidence 20 years or less removed from the time it happened. And it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, Let's just get back to the text here. Paul uses the Greek word paradigmini, which was a word describing the passing on of a sacred tradition, one that you don't change, one of, as Paul puts it, first importance. In other words, what Paul is telling us is he believes, what he believes about the resurrection is the most important thing he could ever pass on to us, and that we should hold it tightly. Now, Paul goes on to mention that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. And not only does he say he appeared to over 500 people, but he says a lot of those people, when he's writing this, are still alive. And so if you want evidence, if you don't want to believe me, if you're having a hard time believing that Jesus rose from the dead, well, here's 500 other people who are still alive that you can ask about their testimony of the resurrection. Then, Paul mentions someone really interesting in this text, and often we miss it. It's someone that I have already talked about, Jesus' brother, James. Remember the guy who didn't believe Jesus, who thought that he was nuts? Now, this is important because if we read further into the scripture narrative, we're told that James becomes a believer. So he's not a believer when Jesus lived, but he becomes a believer after Jesus' death. Paul mentions this in Galatians chapter 1. We're also told in Acts 15 that James is the one who heads up the Jerusalem council, and as you might know, he also authored a book in the Bible called the book of James. So this leads me, in my personal exploration of this, to ask a question. What convinced James, if it wasn't the healing, if it wasn't the authority, if it wasn't Uh, uh, some of these other things in Jesus's life that Jesus claimed to be and did what convinced James that Jesus was God in the flesh. And it's simple, folks. The resurrection. That's why Paul specifically mentions James here the resurrection, Jesus appearing to him after death and saying, hey, brother, I'm actually alive. Here I am in the flesh. Let's talk. That convinced James that Jesus really was the Son of God. So if you don't think the resurrection is real, you have to ask yourself what convinced James to change his mind after Jesus was dead. Now, There's solid historical evidence, as I said, that the gospel story of Jesus is accurate, that over 500 people saw him and interacted with him, that Jesus was alive, and to just go ask them. And here's the interesting thing. No one changes their testimony. No one changes their testimony even when they faced death. This belief, this transformation of the early Christians is what boggled my mind. And it caused me to ask this. How do you explain how a small band of monotheistic Jews can, can come to believe against all of the teachings that they were raised with that this human being, this person Jesus, was the Son of God? This was my hang-up. I, I, could, I couldn't explain it any other way other than Jesus must have been who he said he was Or at least these monotheistic Jews were completely convinced. So convinced that they were willing to give up their lives and die. You see, Jesus became their expert because of his credentials. His incredible authority when he taught. His blameless life. His ability to heal. The fact that he overcame death by raising from the grave. They were completely convinced that this was true and their dedication and their lives proved that they believed it. I couldn't explain any other way that these people were transformed the way that they were, that they were willing to to put their lives at stake for the sake of their expert. They really believed that Jesus was the expert of life's big questions and that he had brought them answers. And so I ask myself every day, does my life show that I'm convinced that Jesus was God in the flesh? Am I as convinced as the early church that giving up everything is worth it? And the question I ask myself, and I want you to ask this question to yourself too, Does my life show the evidence that I believe the way that they believed? Because if Jesus really was God, then I would be wise to make him the thing of first importance in my life, the expert that I listen to and filter all other things through. So ask yourself this question as you evaluate your life. Is the voice of Jesus the expert that you're listening to?
1: As we wrap up our service for this morning, let's take a few moments to just reflect on that question that Pastor Jeff left us with. When you think about the way that you've been living, the way you've been spending your time and interacting with other people, making your decisions, What are the voices that you've been listening to? What have you been placing your trust in? What's the foundation that you've been building your life on? And what would it look like for you to reorient your life, to put Jesus at the center, to let him be the one that you're trusting To let Him be the one who's guiding your decision making every day. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our everything. Help us to be people who don't just believe in you with our minds, but who trust you with our entire lives. We ask that your spirit would strengthen us and guide us as we seek to follow you every day. In your name we pray. Amen.